All right, once again, let's make some noise. Thanks, team. We're gonna we're gonna get back into some worship through music here towards the end. So don't worry, they're gonna be coming back out here. If you have your Bibles, Luke is where we're gonna be at quickly this evening. Luke chapter 15. Chapter 15, it's where we left off last night, the prodigal son. Just to give you a recap as you're turning there, Luke chapter 15, we've got this son that says to his dad, I want the money that I'm owed. I get it when you die, but instead of you dying, just give me the money now and I'll take it and go spend it how I want. And I got a lot of plans and a lot of ideas. And so the dad gives him what he wants. And that's a scary thing for dad and for the son. And the son, it says in chapter 15 of Luke, goes and just spins it like crazy on all the things that he thought was going to satisfy him. He's got a lot of friends around living life the way that he thought exactly what would fulfill fulfill him until the money starts to run out. The friends start to leave because they're not really there for him. They're there for the money and the good time that was ultimately never meant to satisfy. And he's sitting there alone, broke, shoveling pig food in their little trough. And he's he's sitting there thinking, these pigs eat better than I do. What would it look like if I went home to my dad? There's no way I could go home to my dad and be a son again. There's no way dad would take me back. No way. But I could go back and be one of his hired help. And he has this idea if he goes back to dad and say, Father, I've sinned against you and against heaven. I'm no longer to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. This is his plan. So in verse 20, Of chapter 15, it says this, and he, the son, arose and came to his father. I'm sure heart pounding, right? But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, felt compassion. The father ran and embraced his son and kissed him and said to his, said, uh, and the the son said to the father, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. He's confessing these things that he's done. And the father, the father said quickly to his servants, quick, quick, bring me the best robe. Put it on my son. Put a ring on his hand, shoes on his feet. Bring a fattened calf. Let's kill it. Let's eat and celebrate for the son of mine who is dead. He's now alive again and he was once lost and now he is found. And they began to celebrate. Would you pray with me as we begin? Lord, thank you for that story that you tell about your faithfulness, not ours. (laughs) The faithfulness of the Father. And as we talk about that tonight, Lord, may you move in this place. May your word fall on surrendered kind of hearts. May we get rid of distractions in this room so that we can focus on your love, your mercy, and your grace. It is in your name, your powerful name, we pray these things. Amen. There's some words in there, dead, 
alive, lost, and found. Those are important words. In fact, those are words we're going to be talking about tonight. It's called uh, the gospel, the good news. And I have to believe in a room like this, there's some that have never really put your hope and faith in Christ before for salvation. We're going we're to talk about that tonight. And I say this at the beginning because I don't want you to feel tricked or manipulated into making a decision at the end. What I'm going to do, it's like a courtroom. I'm going to try to present truth. We've already talked about who God is. We've talked about him being the author of the Bible, which is truth that is reliable and it is relevant to our life. It has been tried to, and people have been trying to get rid of this Bible for a very long time, and they still have not yet been able to. It's God's word to us, his truth to us. And we're going to talk about what he has done for our lives, the good news. And as I try to present that in a clear way, I'm going to give you that have never put your hope and faith and trust in Jesus an opportunity tonight to make a decision. It's a decision night. And I say that at the beginning so you don't feel tricked and manipulated at the end. So I'm excited for tonight because we finally talk about the good news because last night was heavy as we talk about the reality of what sin does and the consequences of it. Now, I also recognize that there's Christians in the room. There's some of you that have put your hope and faith in Jesus for salvation. You might be sitting out there and being like, the gospel, oh man, I've heard this message before. Time to get some sleep. I hope that's not you. And here's the reason why. We're talking about the good news, the thing that literally takes us from death to life. We're talking about what God has done in our life to transform us, to make a way back to him. We're talking about the best news you can ever hear. You don't just hear it once. Friends, this is news that should fire you up. Number two, Christ followers in the room, we're called to share the hope that we have. And I would ask you, do you know how to share the gospel? If not, why go to sleep? Why not tune in? I got a microphone. I get the honor and privilege of talking about the good news. Why not take a little bit of notes? Because God will give you an opportunity and a platform when you go home to share. And we're going to talk about that more tomorrow. So let's get after this thing. In the beginning, God. We talked about it yesterday. In the beginning, God, it's page one. God created everything. He created us. And he created us to enjoy everything that he is. A faithful, just, good, hope, love, satisfying. And he walked with his creation and everything was very, very good until his creation, us, wanted something more than him. And because of that, sin entered the world. It cut us off from our relationship with him. And this is what we talked about, and this was hard to hear maybe for some of us, that there is absolutely nothing we can do to fix this relationship. That has to sit heavy on our hearts. There's nothing you could do to restore that. Why? Because the consequences of sin is death. Someone has to pay the price. You owe it, and I owe it. So I have to pay for mine, you have to pay for yours. And so hopefully you walk out of here saying, well, I need help, because that's the point. You do need help. We need something outside of us who can pay that price for us. But he's got to be human. 
Because it's a human problem, right? The sin is a human debt that I have to pay. But he has to be perfect because he can't pay for his own sin. And he has to be eternal because reality is it's him that we sin against, so he has to forgive it as well as he has to pay not just for mine or yours, but for everyone. And this was the plan. This didn't just all of a sudden happen. In the beginning, God, he knew it all. He knew it was going to happen. And what we see in John 1 that we've talked about night one, in the beginning was the word. The word was with God and the word was God. And he put on flesh and he hung out with us. He dwelt among us. He lived life with us. And that's what we've been reading about. That in John 1, he calls his disciples. In John 2, he goes to a wedding. In John 3 and 4 and 5 and 6 and all the way up to 8, he's healing people. He's, he's restoring people's sight. He's showing compassion. He's having hard conversations with people. He's saying, I am the one you've been waiting for. These religious leaders hated him because he was claiming to be God. And he's either crazy, he's a liar, or it's true. And in chapter 8, we read about it last night of this, this uh, woman caught in a sinful act. And, he, and, God, and Jesus says, you're right, he, she's guilty, throw a stone if you're, if you're innocent. And no one can throw a stone because they've all sinned just like us. And that's where we left last night, understanding we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That is Romans chapter 3. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. In Romans 6, 23, says the wages of that is death. So Jesus comes and he lives a perfect life, never compromising God's laws and his, his thoughts, his words, his deeds, his attitude. He's perfect. And he comes and in chapter 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, all the way to around 17, he's telling his disciples, we're walking about three years of his ministry He's telling his disciples constantly, hey, I'm going to go away soon. And they're like, what does that mean you're going to go away? He's like, well, I, I, I'm going away. You know the way. And they're like, we don't know the way. He's like, you've walked with me long enough. You know I am the only way, the truth, the life. And they're like, what? What does that mean? He's having compassion on people. He takes his, his friends up into this room, and he washes their feet, and he tells them how much he loves them. And now he says, go and love people that same way. He makes some bold statements saying, I'm the only way to, to, to God. He says, I'm the good shepherd. He makes all these I am statements saying, I am God. But I came to pay a price, and you don't understand it yet, but I will. You will. And in chapter, in chapter uh, uh, 12, again, there are 13, they're in this Passover dinner. He's washing people's feet. He's saying, hey, love people well, because people are going to know you're my disciples if you do. And then he even says, hey, one of you in this room is going to betray me. Judas gets up and walks out the door. And everyone's looking at him like, what? And I never understand why the disciples don't go and grab Judas and be like, what are you, what are you doing? What are you, what are you on your way to do? But they think that he's on his way to do something with money because he's in charge of the money. He was on his way to do something with money. Betray Jesus. And Jesus already knew it. 
And in fact, Jesus looks at his disciples and say, look, don't just blame one person. In fact, all of you are gonna go ahead and leave me. And Peter looks at him, he's like, I won't. And he says to Peter, you will, by the end of tonight, you're gonna deny me three times. And Peter's like, that's not gonna happen. John 17, he prays for his disciples. In John 14, he promises a helper. I know we're going backwards, but this is a big deal. He promises, I'm gonna leave, but a helper's gonna come. We're gonna talk about the helper tomorrow. He says in 16, I'm going somewhere where you can't follow me, but don't worry. 16.22 says, there is sorrow now, but your sorrow will turn into joy. I promise you that. You're going to be sad for a little while, but that sorrow will turn into joy. And imagine the disciples hearing this. They have this idea of the Messiah. Messiah doesn't die. Messiah's here to kick out Rome and, you know, we're going to reign here with you. He says, nope, that's your plan. That's not my plan. That's not, trust me, my plan's better. And he didn't say this, but he can only imagine, if I just kick out Rome, you're still dead in your sin, and you need me to do something better than kick Rome out of of power. I need to kick death out of power. And he says, you're going to be sad for a little bit. And they didn't understand, but he says, don't worry, that sorrow will turn into joy. And then in chapter 17 of John, we're flying through the book of John. In 17, he prays for his disciples. And then in 18, it's... I love action movies, and I could just imagine this is that moment that it's just quiet, and then the music starts to build, right? It's just this intensity, and he says, all right, let's go. And him and his friends walk out, out of this house and down the Kitron Valley, which you read about it here, and again, you can walk. You could go to Israel and walk through this valley up to the other side is the Mount of Olives, and it stares over Jerusalem, and Jesus is up there, and he's praying, and then Judas, the one who was following him with him, betrays him, and he brings this army of soldiers, and they come to take Jesus, and well, basically, they're going to take him to kill him. And as they're walking up, Judas, uh, behind him is this army of, of soldiers coming to take Jesus away. Their, their swords, helmets, armor, they're ready to go. And I love it in chapter 18, 4 of John, it says this, Then Jesus, catch this, knowing all that was about to happen. This isn't a mere man, and he's not crazy, and he's not a liar. Why? Because he knew this was going to happen. He's been talking about it for three years. And it's actually happening. And this doesn't even catch him off guard. This crowd of of soldiers coming to take him away. Says uh, Jesus, it says this, Jesus knowing all that would happen, verse 4 of 18, they came forward, these soldiers, and said to him, Jesus says to them, who do you seek? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Now watch this. Jesus says to them, I am he. They drew back and they fell on the ground. Just the mere power of his voice reminds everyone around, you don't put the son of God anywhere. At any moment I could get out of this. You're not taking me. I know what I'm here to do. I'm going to the cross. No one puts the son of man anywhere. And just by his voice, they fall down. 
And I can only imagine they're like, what is happening? And they still have the courage to go up and grab him and they take him and they beat him and they take him to these high leaders, these official uh, uh, religious leaders and they slap him and beat him and they, they lie, they say lies about him and all of this stuff that's happening behind closed doors. And they say, this is it. He's blaspheming. He's once again saying that he is God. That's all we need. We got to take him to Rome. Why do they have to go to Rome? Because they're not allowed to kill him. They need Rome, who is the uh, reigning empire. They're the ones that can kill people, not these Jewish people. Rome has to do it. So they take him outside after Jesus has been humiliated. He's by himself. All his friends have scattered. But Peter, Peter's in the courtyard. And Peter had, what we didn't read, denied Jesus three times. And right there in different gospels, which is a beautiful thing that we have, different gospels telling the same story just from a different perspective, which isn't weird. If I asked some of you, hey, how was your week at camp? You would tell a different story than the way you would. It's all the same camp. It's just from a different set of perspective, which is rad because then we get to read Peter's response of watching and hearing Jesus getting beaten. And then he says, I don't know Jesus. And it says in one of the gospels that Jesus right at that point walks out. He's being taken now to Pilate over there. Uh, the, the Roman uh, soldiers, uh, are, or they're bringing him to, to Rome, the, the Roman governor. And they lock eyes right when Peter says, I don't know the man. And I can only imagine Jesus. All he wants is just to see a one friendly face. And he sees Peter and Peter just sitting there with brokenness, guilt, and shame. And Jesus connects eyes with him. And Peter takes off. And I can only imagine in the moment Jesus thinking, Peter, I, I, I knew you were going to do it, yet I still am going to the cross for you, for everyone, for these people that just beat me. At any moment I can get out of this, but I'm not. I'm staying here. Why? Because people mean too much to me. A price has to be paid and they can't pay it. I will pay it because I can. And they take him to Pilate. Again, this Roman governor, the man in charge, he's not Jewish. And he has this interaction with Jesus in John 18, 37 says this, Pilate said to Jesus, so you're a king? And Jesus answered, well, you say that I'm a king. For this purpose, I was born. And for this purpose, I've come into the world to bear witness to the truth. What are we talking about this week? The truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. And then Pilate says this. Pilate said to Jesus, verse 38, what is truth? In this moment, Pilate thinks he's in charge. And he looks at Jesus as Jesus says, I've come to witness, uh, you know, to, to make claims about the truth. And Pilate looks at him and says, what is truth? And the very next line is that, Pilate walks outside, and man, he was so close to hearing the answer. He asks the question, what is truth? And he's, fair, he's staring at truth right in the face, but he doesn't stop to listen. He walks out the door. So close, yet he didn't really want to know what truth is. And he walks out and he says to the people, hey, I'm not going to kill him, but I'm going to go ahead and punish him. And he takes him outside and he takes the Roman guards and they're really good at torture. 
they tie him up and they beat him to the inch of his life. There's some really harsh depictions that we can talk about, but it was a, it was a mess. And Pilate's doing this in hopes that I'm going to beat this man so badly and disfigure him so badly, almost to the edge of his life, don't kill him, and then we're going to bring him back out and stand him before the people, the Jewish people. And maybe that might just satisfy their hunger. So they do, they beat him to an inch of his life. They mock him because these Roman soldiers don't care at all about a Jewish man. They're making fun, oh, you're a king? Great, let's make a crown for you. They get this thorn bush. They take all these thorns off. They put a little crown and they, they jam it right onto his head. A big old thorns just digging into his skin, continuing to beat him and mock him. And they put this purple robe on him and they bring him back up in front of the Jewish people. I would imagine in hopes to say, this is it. Look at this. You can't even tell who he is anymore. He's so mattered. He's, he's, he's beat up. He's broke. He's, he's just messed up. This is your king. And the Jewish leaders hated Jesus so much. They're like, he's not our king. We only have one king, Caesar. Well, what do I do with this man? Kill him. Crucify him. He's not ours. Get rid of him. So they did. Chapter 19 in John, it says this. So they, John, John 19, 16 through 18. So they took Jesus and they went out, Jesus bearing his own cross to a place called the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. And there they crucified Jesus and with him two others, one on either side and Jesus right in the middle of them. You see, the Romans were not just good at torturing people. They were really, really good at killing people. And they figure this out to where they lay him on this cross and they pull their arms and they put a stake in their hand to keep them on that cross and put a stake between their legs to keep them on that cross. And, and, and then they pull this big old heavy wooden cross up and it falls in the hole and it, it jostles every bone and tendon in their body. And those holes don't kill them. The suffocation does. And it's a mockery of this guy who calls himself a king up on this cross, and the only way to breathe is to pull up on those, those, those nail holes, excruciating pain. It's not a quick death, it's a long death. And Jesus is up there being mocked and ridiculed and made fun of, and he has things to say to his family watching. And all the while, he's fulfilling script prophecy that talks about the one that's going to die on the cross. Hundreds of years before here, Jesus is on the cross for us. And there he says, God, why have you forsaken me in those moments that the sin of the world is going on Jesus' shoulders? Because the wages of sin is death, a physical and spiritual separation from God. And he knows you couldn't do it and I couldn't do it. It's a human problem, so Jesus takes on flesh, but he's fully God, fully human. And his humanity pays for it. 
And he dies, and in his eternal nature of his deity, he pays for everybody, all sin. And why? Because it says here in uh, yeah, in 18 that he was crucified, and with them two others on the side. And in chapter 19, 28, it says this. Later out throughout that day, knowing that his time was up, he says these words. It is finished. And Jesus bowed his head. It gave up his spirit. Jesus died. John 19, 38 says that some come and they pull Jesus' body off the cross and they put it in a tomb. And just in case you're wondering, well, did he really die? Well, again, Rome is really good at killing people. So they take a spear because they're like, ah, we got to make sure this guy's dead. And they take the spear and jam it right into his ribs. And it goes up and in and they pull it out and blood and water are pouring out. And he is dead. They take him off and they put him in a tomb and they roll a big stone in there, and he is done. And I have to believe in that time, all his disciples and all those people that thought he was the one, Messiah, the one they were waiting for, grief was overtaking them to the point that the disciples ran and hid. They locked themselves in a room. Romans 5 says this, Romans 5 coming up here on a slide here. God showed his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You see on that cross, he says a, a, a phrase, it is finished. What? What is finished? The payment for sin is finished. That is paid in full. Jesus paid the price. And he demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, enemies of him, he gave his life for us. An impossible price had to be paid. And we couldn't pay it. I can't pay for my own sin, otherwise I'm separated from him forever. But he can, and he did. He never once sinned. He's eternal, so he pays for everyone. Someone had to die. He took our penalty, and he paid the price for us. And here's where it gets awesome. It gets better. You see, we don't, we don't just celebrate a, a dead God. John 20 says that Mary runs to the tomb on the third day, on the morning of the third day, runs and to find the tomb empty. And she meets Jesus and she's just exhilarated. And it comes back here in verse 20, or chapter 20, verse 19. On the evening of that day, John 20, 19, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were hiding from fear of the Jews, Jesus came. He stood among them and said, peace be with you. When he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw Jesus. I love that. Oh, the disciples were glad. They were freaking out. And in case it's still not completely clear, there was sin. God created us to enjoy him. Sin broke that relationship and needed someone to pay the penalty. So he came, he lived, he died, he rose again, and he paid the price, and he says it is finished. One of my favorite Bible verses, Ephesians chapter 2 says this, you were, 
You were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Following the course of this world, we were dead in our transgressions. We were dead, broken. And I want you to read this next part with me here. Chapter 4, or chapter 2 of Ephesians, it says this, verse 4. But God, read it out with me. But God, being rich in mercy. Keep reading it. By grace, you have been saved. Listen, in case you missed it, sin broke this relationship. We broke this relationship. And Jesus fixes it. There's nothing we can do, but there's something he can do. And he says, I am the only way. I am the only truth. I'm the only life. The only way back to the Father is through me. Someone paid the price. You couldn't. He did. Relationship is restored. Everything that is good, everything that is hope and love, fully satisfying our eternal creator who is faithful and personal. We have that ability now to enjoy him once again. But it is only through Jesus. It is not by works so that anyone can boast. It is only through the grace of Jesus and what he did on the cross for us. That is the gospel. That is the good news. We were dead and he makes us alive. He, Jesus died for the payment of sin and he rose again, conquering sin and conquering death, showing that he has the power to make dead things live showing that he alone is who he says he is and that he can do what he says he can do. By rising again, it says that Jesus isn't crazy. He's not a liar. He is who he says he is. He is God. And we are free if we put our hope and trust and faith in him. He says it is finished, price paid in full. Relationship is restored. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says this. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is who he says he is, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. Belief is an interesting word up there. Believe in your heart that Jesus was raised from the dead. Belief, I can't believe for you. It doesn't say no things about him. It says believe. Understanding that there is a God that we broke a relationship with because of sin, that you have sin. That that sin separated you from a holy God. That you need mercy and grace. In this room, I just wonder how many of you think, oh, God actually... He deserves, like, I'm kind of a big deal, right? God's kind of lucky to, me, to have me on his side. Friends, mercy and grace is something that is un, it's, it's not deserved. That's the point of grace. It's unmerited. What we deserve is death and separation. He gives us mercy and grace because he paid the price for us. So you believe, because I think there's some of us that know things about God, but it might not mean you believe in him. You still think that 
you can earn your own salvation, that you can restore that relationship. Belief means you're, you're saying, I can't do it, and I need you to do it. You give him the glory that he deserves. And then 2 Corinthians 5 says this, for the love of Christ controls us, it compels us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. He died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him, for their sake, was dead and was raised again. What's that saying? Our life now isn't about us anymore. If you want your life to be about you, then who cares if your relationship is broken? Stay living for yourself. If given enough time, God will give you what you want. But if Christ died for us, then our life is no longer about us. It's about him. And we get to enjoy him. So get to enjoy him. Enjoy him, not just for heaven, but now. That, my friends, is the gospel. It's the good news. Relationship broken because we broke it and he restored it. That's the good news. So here's what I would ask next. What would be stopping some of you in this room who've never put your hope and faith and trust in Jesus, what would be stopping you from doing that tonight? As we talked about truth all week, we talk about who God says that he is, the reliability of what the Bible says, who Jesus claimed to be, why he came, not just to, to go to the cross, but to show us how to live perfectly. And he goes to the cross for you. And he's paid the price for sin for you so you don't have to pay it. But if you still want to pay it, he'll let you. Because when we die and we'll all die one day, he's going to ask, what did you do with Jesus? What did you do with my son? And you say, I wanted none of you or your son. And he's going to say, okay, I will give you none of me and none of my son, not just on earth, but for eternity. I will let you not have me or my son for eternity. And we talked about that. That's hell. But the opposite is true. We die, and he says, what did you do with me and my son? He's like, I, I needed you and your son. I, I need you. I, I did everything with you and your son. I need you. He's like, you wanted me and my son. You get all of us, not just for eternity, but you get to enjoy us now. We don't have to wait for heaven to enjoy him now. We want hope. We want love. We want good. We want faithfulness. We get to enjoy that now, Christians. price has to be paid. You pay it or he already did. And he just says, believe that you need someone to pay it. You need me. That's the good news. So with all eyes open and all heads up, you have a choice to make. Do you believe this to be true or not? I said it at the very beginning because I don't want to trick you or manipulate you. I just want to give you an honest opportunity to say, I need Jesus. So, in a moment, I'm going to ask you if you've never put your hope and trust and faith in Jesus, but tonight you know you need to, I'm going to ask you to stand up on the count of three. 
And that's scary. And I know some of you are like, well, I was going to give my life to the Lord until you said that. Really standing up. That's the thing that will keep you from him, huh? Can I also encourage you, standing up doesn't save you. It doesn't say if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and you stand up at Hume Lake, that saves you. It doesn't. But as we stand up, I want you to understand that going home is scary and hard and living for Jesus is tough. And there's a room, a lot of us, full of Christians that want to celebrate time with you as you stand up and say, I need Jesus. There's youth pastors that want to come alongside you and pray with you to understand what it means to follow Jesus. But Jesus went to the cross publicly. Would you stand publicly to say, I need Jesus? So on the count of three, you've never put your hope and faith in Jesus. For the first time tonight, you say, I need him. It doesn't matter if your friends stand up or not. This isn't about them. Make your own choice, knowing the truth. I need Jesus. So here we go. On the count of three. Again, this is a first-time decision. You've never put your hope and faith in Jesus. And tonight, you know you need to. I'm going to ask you to stand up on the count of three. One, two, three. Stand up right where you're at. Hang on. Wait, 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 wait. Hold up. We'll applaud at the end. I don't want applause to get people to stand up. You know you need Jesus out there. You've never put your hope and faith in him. But you know tonight I need it. I need him. Again, there might be some standing. You're like, oh, I already put my, fo- my hope in Jesus once. Uh, you don't have to stand up. You can sit down. But if those are you standing up, you're saying, I've never put my hope and faith in Jesus, and tonight I need to for the first time. Awesome. Those that are standing, can you do me a favor and just look around and find your counselor? Can you get your eye contact with your counselor? Counselors, find your, your, your students with your eyes. I'm going to give you a moment here in a, uh, in a minute to, to find them. So students standing, put your eyes on a counselor here. Don't sit down quite yet. Hey, I, I haven't led you through a prayer because I, I want you to sit and talk with your counselor and, and you have questions. Talk those things out with your counselor. And then we just read, it's very simple to just admit, I need you, Lord. Be my Lord and King. I've sinned against you. Come into my life and be my Lord. Forgive me. And your counselors are going to walk that through with you. However, before you sit down, I'm proud of you guys for saying, I need Jesus. And it's not an easy road you're walking. Tomorrow doesn't mean everything is promised that's easy. It just means if you give your life to the Lord and you, you mean this, that you need him, he says, you get me. And as hard as it might be, I am good, I am love, I am hope, and I am faithful, and you're not going down the hill alone. So friends that are sitting, uh, in a moment, I've heard you guys scream, and you are very, very loud, I, very, very loud night game in here was insane last night, all right? So I know you could get loud. In a moment, those that are seated, I'm going to have you guys make some noise. And here's why we're going to make some noise. Those that are standing, as life gets hard down the hill, I want you to listen to the scream that's about to come out, the noise coming out of this place, and let that just sink into your hearts and remind you when life might get tough, you've got a bunch of people right next to you Loving Jesus, and, and, and I want this, the joy of the Lord to be filling in your life and in your bones as it rattles you saying, Jesus is the only way, the truth, and the life. So on the count of three, those that are seated, make some noise because we want to 
we want to remind them that we are here with them. On the count of three. One, two, three, Mason! Here we go. Let's do this. Hang on. Thank you, those that are standing. You stood too long. Thank you all. Sit on down. Last thing, and I'm going to head out of here. Here's the thing. Christ followers in the room. You might hear this gospel message and think to yourself, uh-oh. Can sin break my relationship with God every time? No. Your sin cannot break the power of that cross. It just can't. His, he loves you too much. In fact, nothing can separate you from the love of God. That's what the Bible says. But can I ask you, Christ followers in this room, Jesus restored this relationship. And at some point you said you gave your life to the Lord saying, I need you because you are the only way back to life. If that's the case, why are you, some of you living as if your life is still connected or disconnected from him? If he is everything that we want him to be, everything that he is, is what we need. And he said, I fixed it and you believe it. Why would you live for anything else? The relationship relationship has been made restored because of Jesus. You as Christians believe that. So stop living as if it's broken. You can't break it. You might be stretching this thing a little bit, trying to live down in a broken life. And he's like, stop. What are you doing? I'm up here. Turn around. Look at me. Ephesians chapter four says, live, life, uh, uh, live a life worthy of the gospel. In Christians, I think we come up to camp or have this awesome little mountaintop experience where we're like, you know what I need to do? I need to rededicate my life. Rededicate's not in the Bible. Repentance is. We repent And repent, we can do every single day. We should be. If there's things in your life that you want out of your life, you're, God, I'm so sorry. Can you get this thing out of my life? And he's like, yep, no problem. Done. Keep your eyes on me. Thank you for confessing that. And repentance is simple. Instead of pulling away, all we do is we stop and we turn around and we look back up at him. That's repenting, stopping and turning and and going the opposite direction. So Christians in the room, that have given their life to the Lord to say, man, Lord, I know this relationship has been restored. Help me live for you. Help me remember who you are. Because he hasn't changed. But maybe some of our lives and our focus has. So maybe tonight, maybe you don't roll out of here. Maybe you stay back here and do some business with the Lord. I won't have you stand In fact, when everybody leaves, maybe you just need to get on your knees and go to the Lord. But feel free. We're going to have you stay back, too. If you need to do some business with the Lord, stay back. And the last crew here, if you find yourself saying, man, I, 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 I hear these things. I know some of these things. I don't know if I believe them yet. 
You've not put your hope and faith in Jesus. Okay. You don't have to do it in this room. Can you have conversations tonight in, in your cabins? Tomorrow on a little walk, maybe with your counselor or youth pastor? Can you ask questions that you might have that might be stopping you from enjoying a relationship with God? Because we're just not promised tomorrow. And that is coming from a pastor's heart that deeply wants you to understand truth. Band's going to come on out and we're going to sing one last song in light of who God is. And some of you might want to stand up. You can, but you don't have to. If you want to stay and stay seated, then stay seated. If you want to get on your knees and surrender in this posture of, God, I am getting down on my knees in weight of who you are, then do that. If you need to do some business with the Lord, then let's do it. In light of who God is and what he did for us, how can we not worship him? How can we not say, God, you get all the glory and all the praise. I need to just simply say, wow, you are awesome. In light of who he is and our desperate need for him. Would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you for the truth. We thank you for what the cross means a relationship is now restored only because of you. Sin had to be dealt with. So you dealt with it. You paid the price. It is finished. And you sat down and said, it is done, paid in full. We either take on the sin, the consequences of it, or we believe that you already did. And I pray for all of us in this room that we give you our sin, and we get your righteousness, Lord. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for rising again, showing us that you have the power to do what you say you do. And you are who you say you are. We love you. Amen.